I V M. Hello and welcome to the Wire Talks. I'm Siddharth Bhatia. Anyone who watches nightly television news will know that the Indian media, especially broadcasters, are virtual mouthpieces of the Modi government. They not only amplify and praise the government and its leader all the time, they also attack the opposition parties against all the conventions and ethics of journalism. And objectivity and balance are pretty much unknown. NDTV, the oldest uh, news channel in India, was an outlier, a channel that stuck to a professional approach. Now, it looks like it may be taken over by an industrialist, Gautam Adani, who is close to the political establishment. What does it mean for NDTV? More importantly, what does it mean for the media landscape? Will the channel now become one more acolyte of the government and the ruling party? These are questions which our guest today, N. Ram, the well-known and well-respected former editor-in-chief of the Hindu and Frontline, will discuss and answer. N. Ram, welcome to the Wire Talks. It's a pleasure, Siddharth. So in the last seven years or so, we have seen the spectacle, the sorry spectacle of the Indian media, especially television channels, becoming virtual lapdogs of the government, supporting it fully, attacking the opposition for on everything. We have never seen this in India before. How and why did this happen? I agree with you that, uh, in fact, I'd go beyond that and say that we have among the worst news television channels in the world. Two or three of them are adept at doing, or more maybe, are adept at doing hit jobs uh, at uh, opposition figures. And even uh, on the media, as we saw in the case of The Wire, when uh, the attack happened recently. So I think, uh, yes, we I, I fully agree with it. And I think they that's because they put business in front they are also afraid of the consequences to their businesses, both the media business and businesses beyond in some cases, or that they will be hit if you have critical voices, if you oppose policies, if you oppose, say, demonetization and so on. And I think that message has gone there. But uh, even before they were driven to the wall, I think they caved in. You know, there's this uh, lines about the, the British journalist by Humpert Wolf. It goes something like this. You can't hope to bribe or twist, thank God, the British journalist. But considering what the man will do unasked, there's no occasion to. And I think that really applies to uh, some of our mainstream television channels and uh, perhaps also sections of the mainstream press, although there there are differences there. I mean, uh, the categories are somewhat different. You know, I've been wondering also whether there is a kind of ideological compatibility because, you know, even if you cave in down the line, from the owner, the editor, and the reporters, they seem to be virtually participating in this entire, you know, hatred and for the minorities, for example. And can this happen reluctantly or does it happen with some kind of compatibility with the government's views and the BJP's views? That's a good insight because some of them may actually agree with the majoritarian agenda in a highly polarized situation. You know, that's been on the rampage. Fortunately, not everywhere across all regions in India, the South by and large put up a lot of resistance to this. But yes, I think some of that is willing. They are, it is, they are ideologically aligned with uh, this, with the Hindutva, what I would call not just the BJP government, but with the Hindutva authoritarian regime, which is much wider and larger. Uh, so I think uh, there, there is that ideological uh, pull as well. But uh, assuming that they want to do professional journalism, or that's how they started, I think there is also the uh, fear, uh, the message that has been sent out, the fear of consequences. 
Uh, and they, so I think both these uh, together, and we have to go on a case-by-case -case basis to discover what are the factors that uh, have resulted in this uh, shameful situation. For uh, We start, start with the news television, but also I think in the case of some of the press. Although, a caveat, I think we, we must recognize that, it, that the situation is so diverse that there are still spaces across India, in, in particular states or regions, where uh, independent voices, defiant voices, voices uh, rise from time to time and are allowed to have their space because you can't suppress everything or you can't establish total control as uh, happened in fact during the emergency i remember that uh, because uh, the media were, uh, the landscape was completely different at that time but i think they were so stunned that there was no effective resistance other than that small underground uh, publications you know I, I remember that very well because i was very much uh, part of that experience uh, where uh, we saw what happened to the media and i don't think it's gone to that stage simply because, not because they wouldn't want it but the regime but because india is too too diverse uh, to uh, allow that to happen. So that's an important qualification, I think. So this is, I'm stating the obvious, but this is clearly a very, very unhealthy situation for a democracy where the citizen expects uh, that the media will demand accountability, report uh, accurately and objectively about what the government is doing, and also be the voice of the voiceless. That famous saying about, you know, comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. Here it is, uh, why isn't the citizen being shortchanged? Absolutely. But then citizens are confused because of this uh, hugely uh, polarized uh, situation, not witnessed since independence. Uh, maybe there was some before that would led up to partition, but uh, certainly so people are hugely confused. And uh, in this situation, uh, you know, these attacks are quite effective. These pressures, these threats, the perception of risk and the actual attacks, the raids, trying to criminalize journalism. In some cases, targeting especially Muslims. You saw a Kapan affair or uh, Mohammed Zubair or even comedians being attacked, uh, but, but uh, also on a broader way, journalism being criminalized uh, in a way that wouldn't have happened before. So I think uh, it is that situation, but there are still spaces for independent voices like The Wire, like yours or mine, and also spaces within the uh, so-called mainstream media, particularly the press. NDTV was a very good example, but uh, I, I think the deal, the control has been passed on to the Adani group, and we'll have to see what happens. But uh, it is certainly uh, very unfortunate that the one channel that stood out, the English language channel that stood out, and also Ravish Kumar, very influential voice. And that I think that chapter has uh, virtually ended. I'll come to the NDTV situation in a minute. Can you think of, I know you said we are the worst in the world, but can you think of, say, any other society, democratic society, where it is a similar thing is happening, where there is some level of media capture, not in the, but, you know, for example, in countries where despotic democratic leaders have risen to the top. Is there any other example of this? Uh, so that I don't know about uh, non-English speaking uh, countries, but I, I don't know what the situation would have been in Brazil under Bolsonaro or Turkey and, uh, and Turkey today and in, in the recent past or Indonesia and so on. I don't know enough about it, but I'm not aware. I don't think in Pakistan you have such a situation simply because <laughs> no one political uh, formation is totally dominant. It's very contested. In a contested space, this wouldn't happen. But if somebody, the opposition is so weak, 
that it allows uh, authoritarian tendencies to go on the rampage as, uh, as happened in India. I think uh, we would expect uh, this kind of uh, performance by the media. So, but I'm not really aware of uh, anybody, anybody else in a situation that is comparable to uh, what we face. There must be. My instinct tells me there must be, but uh, I don't know. Don't know of anything really comparable uh, right now. I must confess, I don't know too much of the situation in Rwanda, but it reminds me about what's happened there in terms of if you know about Radio Rwanda, which openly called for genocide. I don't know about the rest of the media there. Uh, But sometimes it feels like in dramatic moments, it feels like this is exactly what is happening, where uh, there are virtually open calls for, uh, I mean, at least at the very least, there is bigotry and hate mongering, but also demonizing of uh, minorities. And this could lead to consequences. Yes, this could lead to consequences and is already leading to some consequences, uh, although it could get worse. But uh, you know, the social media, this monstrous formation on the social media orchestrated is putting huge pressure, I think, alongside the direct attacks or, or the threats and so on from government agencies like the Enforcement Directorate or the police, or, the, or including the CBI or the Income Tax Department. And the social, you know, the way social media pounces on any independent voice, of course, you can stand up and so on, but it's very difficult to take, for example, women journalists. The way they have been uh, abused, targeted, rape threats, pornographic content being fraudulently put on. And and there is a virtual immunity uh, that uh, these people enjoy. People who post uh, such messages or content enjoy on uh, uh, social media platforms. We know uh, what happened with uh, Facebook and so on. India has the largest number of Facebook users. By users, it's number one. Similarly, uh, on Instagram. Uh, and the kind of messages that uh, are put out and are tolerated by these platforms, I think, uh, is, is really quite a story. Uh, and it puts enormous pressure on journalism. So ideally, you should be insulated from this. You should uh, you know, switch off from this. But in the real world, I think it's very difficult. People want to know what others are saying and so on, and they, and they get into this uh, into the cauldron. Uh, so I think uh, other people have written about it, how the, this disinformation, which is motivated, which is deliberate, which is orchestrated and scaled up on these social media platforms, puts enormous pressure on the working journalist, on somebody who wants to be an honest professional journalist coming out of, say, the Asian College of Journalism, with which I'm associated, or some other uh, serious uh, journalism school or from wherever They come out with idealism, increasing a lot of women come out. And then if this is the situation they face, I think that you have a real problem on your hands for the future of uh, the news media and the future of journalism, professional journalism, journalism of integrity, ethical journalism for which people like you Siddharth Vardarajan, M.K. Venu, or others are known. I think this uh, this is uh, this is a real problem. In this context, the NDTV. Uh imminent takeover or virtual takeover, or maybe it's already happened, as you saw Pranoy uh, step down from the directorship of his company. Um, it's really worrying. RRPR so far. That's from, yes, from uh, RRPR, I think. Yes, yes. But do you think that, and I don't want to get into his personal situation, but do you think that this was target that people close to the government were aiming at, and there was a financial vulnerability there because of past financial and investment decisions. So uh, do you think that this was a targeted thing or is it just an ordinary corporate takeover? 
I think it was uh, taking place over time. And uh, actually, Mukesh Ambani uh, bailed them out uh, th- th- more than 12 years ago with this loan. Uh, and if you look at the SAT order, uh, they said it is a commercial transaction. For, and, and although there were features that enabled them to take over, uh, there were two factors in the uh, loan agreement which were crucial for NDTV's survival and even flourishing under very difficult circumstances. One was no editorial interference, and it never happened. Uh, I know this for a fact. Um, it's written there, and it was honored. The second thing is a, an interest-free loan. But I think NDTV, it was unfortunate. They, you know, they encountered a global situation beyond their control, a financial crisis, 2008, 2009, which I think put an end, which really undermined their uh, plans for expansion and so on. They got into a very difficult financial situation and to the credit of Reliance and uh, Mr. Mukesh Ambani himself, I think that loan, although it had clauses that it would in future, it, it, it had the potential to be taken over. That option was never exercised for 12 years, which for which I think credit must be given. And the good work that NDTV did during this period was uh, in part in significant part enabled by uh, this loan. And NDTV came back despite all those attacks by enforcement, by CBI, income tax, attacks which, in my opinion, are completely unjust uh, and uh, sometimes over the top because the process is the punishment. Eventually, nothing may happen, but uh, you have to go through this process and it's had a it's faced a situation which I think no other significant media organization in India has faced so far. So I, I know about it quite a lot. Um, and I think this uh, this loan agreement definitely helped them. But uh, it couldn't go on for too long. And for some reason, it, uh, you know, uh, ownership was... Uh, was you know part of, uh, was transferred acquisition was uh, possible at that time but for that period for that good period for uh, television journalism I think some credit must go uh, to uh, a major business uh, organization which uh, you know came to their aid and support uh, financial vulnerability absolutely but then NDTV for I, I think fought back spiritedly went to state governments, got advertising revenue, and actually turned the corner in terms of operations. Uh, and I think that's uh, very creditable for the journalists. It, it shows that good journalism, independent journalism is viable and can even be profitable despite all the challenges that come their, their way. But that chapter has ended. It's, uh, it is my understanding that control has passed over. They have. Uh, and uh, uh, I don't think the Roy's are going to continue in this. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to the Wire Talks. What I was asking, Ram, is do you think that, therefore, knowing this situation of NDTV, this Adani takeover by another group, an industrial group known to be very, very close to Mr. Modi and to the government. Do you think it was targeted that let's we know that NDTV is in uh, this situation, let's go after it because it's way too independent? Do you think that or is it just an ordinary business uh, transaction? It is no ordinary business transaction. It's, uh, I think, NDTV, they, they found NDTV very uncomfortable and wanted to put an end to at least Roy's uh, control of NDTV, their stewardship of NDTV. And I think Mr. Adani was trying for some time 
to acquire this and it was but uh, there was this bar you know it was in the hands of somebody else the control no, not the control but the keys to the control if you like and so i think it happened eventually but it lasted pretty long so i don't think it was just an ordinary business decision i saw mr gautam adani's uh, i read the interview uh, published in the financial times where he said he wants to take it global and uh, it a global brand india's first global brand like uh, the financial times or al jazeera he said and he offered pranoy uh, roy chairmanship he said for this so the problem is he, you want to have credibility if it's seen to be a propagandistic organ ndtv is turned over into that then i think it has no value for the purposes he mentioned he said that the cost is quite negligible for the conglomerate the any conglomerate but he so it's a responsibility rather than anything else he said he said there is interesting things there but i think the credibility is going to be very important and there are still journalists in ndtv who have credibility srinivas and jain nidhi rasdan a number of others younger ones also sanket so on. they have credibility and skills they have experience also to back back this up so that chapter is yet to be uh, covered but uh, so th- he's facing to the problem of uh, doing this global thing he's also said something very interesting ustadani in this interview by all means criticizes the government when uh, it goes wrong but you also have, should have the courage to highlight you know to say it's done very well when uh, it's particularly on the development agenda i don't think there's any need to say that that's obvious that if you agree with uh, something that the government uh, thinks uh, is doing that you think is good you are as a professional journalist at least in your editorials you're going to support that if you believe that that is right because it's not just reporting you also offer opinions you you engage in disputation in criticism but uh, you could easily be supportive of something say the midday meal scheme is announced or something like that or all over you will support it it goes without saying so why do you have to say you must have the courage to uh, credit the government for its development agenda in effect so this that suggests a change i don't think you or pranoy raw has somebody who would say that it's obvious uh, that uh, and so i think there's some there's a message there that there could be a major change but on the other hand credibility how do you win credibility especially if you want to go global to establish a glo- global uh, brand so i think there is uh, really a tension between these two goals as stated in his uh, as revealed in his uh, interview to the financial times i think that's the one place where he's spoken out on what his plans so joining the dots his proximity to the government uh, his statements and the fact that ndtv was say the last man standing in a sense in terms of television channels at least where there was some integrity some professionalism if you join all the dots do you think that would you assess it as a or predict it as a situation where ndtv is definitely going to now go the way of other channels or it's going to start becoming another voice maybe a more sophisticated voice but a more uh, pro government voice you are you fundamentally my question is are you pessimistic yes i think it's a very unfortunate thing i've already said it to once the financial times and so on uh, much earlier as soon as the news broke i think it's very unfortunate that control has passed out i think it's already happened passed uh, you know it's been transferred uh, from the hands of the roys who are really icons in uh, the indian news television space uh, also pioneers so it's passed and that's i think going to be very unfortunate and whether it was mr adani or some other industrialists close to the who support who support 
they say we support the development agenda, but that's much more than just economic development. So I think it's very, it'll be very unfortunate because these pressures will operate and their own interests will be pursued. But uh, whether it'll be like other channels, those channels which do hit jobs, I, I don't want to preempt. Uh, let's give it a chance and see how the new NDTV with the new uh, ownership, the new c- controllers is going to function because it still has all these journalists uh, done a while on the whole a wonderful job for for the channel and for Indian news television and for the Indian uh, news media. So I think uh, we have to give it a chance in all fairness, uh, but uh, it's very unfortunate that control uh, has been lost uh, by the the Roy's. But then they've gone on for, they've been at it for a very long time. So you can't expect this to go on forever, I guess. Why do industrialists want to own uh, television channels? Nobody is making big money. Eventually, television watching will taper down because everything is moving on the phone and on other devices. People are watching less and less news. Why do they want to uh, own uh, these channels? Why not get into something else which makes more money? not not for for business purposes at all it's uh, it's something you would like to acquire because in some cases it could be vanity uh, it, it depends on the individual case in some cases uh, supporting their uh, their whole strategy business or even political strategy in some cases of businessmen or business persons uh, they have, I think complex reasons but certainly it's not for profit and in fact Mr Adani in this interview said that it, it's a negligible cost for the conglomerate uh, to take it global given all their other plans and so on and that's how you'd see it but I think you you already see it happen in in India but it's so diverse that there are different forms of ownership still which is what uh, gives me some hope we can't throw in the towel on this but uh, I can see the reasons why business persons big business would seek to acquire this voice because they want to influence public opinion they want to curry favor with the government in some cases i don't want to name names it could be the central government or even state governments and you can exercise a lot of influence and power it opens doors in many cases if you're in the media uh, so I think there are, uh, but uh, Siddharth, I also want to mention that in the old days, big business houses, which are cautious, would avoid getting into media because they knew, you know, I, I know that, uh, for example, the Tatas, I think, although the, you know, the statesman, ownership of the statesman was there, but they never got, uh, they never interfered. They never dabbled in the media space because of good reasons. Uh, it's, you know, a different kind of a business group with different ethics would do that. They didn't want to get into uh, any contested space, any controversial space unconnected with their business that was the old approach but now it's completely changed actually for a long long time mr dhirubhai mani said why should i own a newspaper when i have uh, friends in uh, other publications and uh, the ambani's were doing very well without newspapers and he said that it's a headache to own a newspaper till they started something which lasted for exactly three to four years and that was the end of it but now yes. it's interesting to see that Mr. Mukesh Ambani uh, owns a massive uh, TV channel and uh, digital enterprise. So, uh, and now we've seen what is happening here. So being an editor, being a mentor, you're, you're very much on the, uh, involved with the Asian College of Journalism, which is producing great journalists. I look back on when I began and now I think... Why would a young person want to join journalism if 
that young person has ideals and she has ethics and she has plans and she wants to bring the real voice of the country in front of uh, society, the voice of the people. Where does she go? Is journalism dead as we know it? Uh, I'm I'm positing this. No, I, I, I hope not. And I don't think so either. I also have raised the same question. Why are they coming? Say in our Asian colleges of journalism, year after year, 60, 65% of the intake is female. Women come here uh, with idealism, well-educated from different parts, drawn from all sections of society. The scholarships are also provided there for people who can't afford the fees. Uh, they come every year. And one of the things that they they are told right in the curricula, in, during the classes, during the programs, is that don't expect all this to prevail in the newsroom when you go there. You will encounter problems. Uh, they get jobs also. I think uh, several hundreds of them are still very active in the in, in the Indian media and some abroad also. And they encounter different situations, but they come with the spirit of idealism in, in, by and large. Some of them exit journalism. They've gone into what they've learned. They use in other areas, like including investment and so on, or starting the startups, including financial startups in finance. Uh, so they, they do that. But this question I, I ask myself year after year, well, why are they coming here to study? Uh, particularly young women, but it's also others, people who are very well qualified because they already have a degree. Could be engineering or even we even had a, a dentist come to journalism, people with the law who already have law degrees. They come in. So I think there is that, uh, I, I wouldn't like to say it residual, but there is the young spirit of wanting to do something and wanting to change the world in some ways or keep, you know, keep up with progressive trends, work for justice. So I think I see that spirit and that uh, that's one reason why uh, when we go to the uh, to places like our ACJ, Asian College of Journalism, but I don't want to advertise it too much on this platform, uh, but that's my only experience. We get recharged. When we go and discuss with these students, we have a course with the Bloomberg course for financial and business journalism also. And when we talk to them, there's some very bright young people there who have clearly given up uh, the prospect of getting into more uh, paying jobs, more lucrative jobs, careers here or there, and still come to journalism, which means something must be right with the situation here. Something must be right with the situation here. But where do they go? They get into they get into the mainstream media. I, I understand that. No, no, no. My, my question, somewhat provocative, is if this is the situation in the real world and they are going to be perhaps compromised or disillusioned or just feel frustrated, is journalism per se, got a, has journalism got a future at all, is my question. Yes, I think because the hope is the political dispensation will change for the better. And this kind of authoritarianism will have its day. It will come to an end at some point through elections, through peaceful democratic processes in the, in the Indian case. So I think that's the hope. And there is basically, I think India is too large for any one individual or one formation to keep suppressed all the time. That's my belief. I really believe in that. And you can wait it out. Uh, things will change off sometimes unexpectedly, but you can also work for it. At the moment, the best hope is uh, in what is called political federalism, where regional parties pulling in different directions, you can't guarantee the future, but uh, they are an alternative to uh, the party that uh, is dominant, the political formation that is dominant. 
And we hope alongside that, the situation will improve for journalism. And when that happens, these young people will be great assets. But even today, you can provide resistance within the news media. It's not the, it's all, it's all, it's not all lost. That's my hope. And I'm sure people like you also attempted to share that. Well, frankly, uh, I'm, uh, as they say nowadays, on the same page as you on this, because uh, having seen uh, journalism and politics in this country for many, many years, uh, I've seen ups and downs and things change and things change dramatically. So it's not that uh, all uh, hope is gone I speak to young journalists, young people, and uh, they ask me similar questions. Why should I get in? Why should I not go into corporate relations, which pays a lot, which is less hassles? Uh, so I but I find people coming in. We get a lot of people. Others must be getting a lot of applications. New uh, independent avenues are opening up. So I share your uh, optimism uh, and hope for the future on, uh, frankly, on this is a lovely note to uh, conclude on, uh, to say that uh, as two professional journalists, you're much more senior. We feel that journalism as we know it and as we hope it is practiced is not dead. So, so. uh, Well said, I fully, I second that. Thank you uh, for this uh, well-rounded understanding, uh, explanation and analysis of the Indian media scene and of Adani, takeover of NDTV. That was uh, N. Ram, the distinguished editor, former editor-in-chief of The Hindu and Frontline, giving his views on the media landscape of today. We'll be back again next week with another guest. Till then, goodbye from me, The Wire Talks, Siddharth Bhatia and the team. Bye.